Last week we began um, a look through Jesus' ministry, and we're just going to be jumping around from different Gospels. Uh, primarily, the, my hope was, my focus was going to be on uh, Jesus' commandments. What does he teach us to do? We see in uh, the Great Commission that we are to, to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded us. And so one of the things I wanted to look at, and it's not working out as well as I'd hoped when I was working on it, uh, but to, to see how does Jesus live out these commandments that he gave us because he does not call us to do something he himself is unwilling or unable to do. And uh, so that was, just so you know, that's kind of what the, the opening thought was, but as I said, hasn't gone as smoothly as I hoped to in my planning. But last week we looked at Luke uh, chapter 3 and, and chapter 3, chapter 2, and Jesus's, I'm just wanting to jump things ahead there, uh, Jesus's journey to Jerusalem with his parents and his need and his desire to be in his father's house, and yet he lived out the commandment to us that first, the, the commandment that we obey our parents, obey your father and your mother. But he also, he showed us in his life that he came as a child. And, and I mean, just the, to, 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 to think of what does it mean that the creator of the universe was a baby? That he humbled himself to obedience to these uh, human beings that he had created. And he would follow them and obey them and do what they told him to do, even if they told him to do wasn't 100% Maybe even the right thing all the time. As parents, we don't always tell our kids to do the right things. And so he was letting them know that things were about to change as he came to adulthood. We're going to turn today to Mark. The Gospel of Mark doesn't begin with an introduction about Jesus' origins. Matthew, Luke, and John all begin with an introduction of Jesus' origins. Matthew with it from the perspective of Joseph and the wise men, the Magi. Luke from the perspective of Mary and then in Bethlehem with the shepherds. And John with the perspective of, you could say, heaven and spiritual realm. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mark just jumps from the very beginning. with uh, Not from the very beginning, but from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He doesn't go into all the, the uh, introductory and where Jesus came from and His origin, but the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, as He says it. And what we're going to look at in the first 15 verses here is John's ministry and the beginning of Jesus' ministry and, and how they're similar and how they're different. How they overlap to a certain extent and how Jesus moves on from Mark's ministry. Or excuse me, from John's ministry. But beginning in Mark chapter 1, let's just go ahead and follow through with it as I read it, please. And we're, gonna, we're not going to read the whole passage, we're going to walk our way through it. Mark begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now let's stop right there. So we're looking at the the as as Mark tells us, the beginning of the gospel, and the, the word gospel means good news. So we would, if we wanted to translate it fully, we would say the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of His ministry, but not only that, the, the good news that Mark is trying to share about Jesus, that He is the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Christ, and that He is the Son of God. And he, He's letting us know that what, what we are seeing is the, the fulfillment of prophecy. That Isaiah prophesied that the messenger would go ahead and would prepare his way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And, and John is fulfilling this role, this prophetic role. We're told how he dressed because that ties him in with the prophets of old that he wore camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locust and wild honey. And John, here's something that I think because we're New Testament believers and because John is just such a small sliver of Jesus' ministry and his story, John is just the starting off point for Jesus' ministry. And we get a little bit of an idea of how important John was in Luke with the whole the prophet and the angel coming to Zechariah and, and John being born. We call him John the Baptist. But did you know that Baptist isn't a noun? For us, it's a noun. It's a denomination. It's, it's, a, it's a way you, you know, say that you're different than the other groups of believers out there. Say Presbyterians or Methodists or Catholics. You name it. But Mark, a better way to translate it, would be John the baptizing one. It's a verb. He is the one who is known because he baptizes people. That's, that's the idea. It's not just a, a title that has been given to him. Kind of like how we add Christ to Jesus almost as if it was his last name. And it's not. It's a title. It means that he is the one who has chosen to come and save his people. John is the baptizer because he was known for it. And it was a strange thing to do. Now, in Jesus' time, you had a group of people where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls the, uh, you know, that we found in their little area that they lived in. They, they were called the Essenes, and they were ascetics, and they would bathe themselves on a ritual basis. They would baptize themselves. They would bathe themselves as part of their worship. But John is coming in here, and he is baptizing the multitudes. He's not just baptizing people who are already pious, and he's not baptizing them as a sign of their, their piety. He is baptizing them as a sign of their repentance 
from their sins. He is proclaiming and preaching a baptism of repentance. He's telling everybody, come and be baptized for the repentance of your sins. Repent from your sins. Show that you have repented from your sins by this ceremony, this rite of being baptized, dipped in the water. And it's a symbol of being cleansed and cleaned again. And He is doing it so much, and He's really a unique person in doing this because, again, the the Athenes, they would baptize themselves. They would dip themselves in the water and they would ceremonially clean themselves as they went into worship. But John is doing this to other people. Just like when we baptize uh, we don't just let a person jump up in the, in the baptismal waters and say, I identify with Jesus Christ, and then they dunk themselves. No, somebody else baptizes them. It is a passive action. Somebody else is doing it to you and for you. And that's what John is doing, and he is doing it so much that he becomes known for this action. It's not a title, though. It's a verb. And he is proclaiming, and we see in other Gospels some of the things that he told them to do and what kind of people were coming to him, that the, the scribes and the Pharisees were coming to him, the common people were coming to him, even Roman soldiers were coming to him, and he was instructing them on how to live differently. But his primary focus was repent. And, and when we repent, the, the word means to change your way of thinking. We, we talk about it a lot of times that it means that you're going one direction and you turn and you go the other direction. To repent means to turn yourself away from one thing toward another. And his proclamation is a, a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That they would let go of their sins and that their sins would be dismissed And we are told that all the country of Judea was going out to him. All the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. There's a a certain entertainment value about John. And and not not unlike uh, back in the days when we would have revivals, there was a certain entertainment value. People would come out for revival because there was no radio. There was no movie theater. There was no uh, mass media like we have it today the best chance to hear some really good singing that wasn't your own or somebody that you knew locally might be at a tent revival. And whole towns and communities would come together for that tent revival. And it was a big, fun thing. You'd get to see some kids that you didn't know before. You'd get to see some new people maybe. And you'd hear the gospel. But we we forget sometimes the entertainment value that was there. And there's a certain entertainment value about John, too. He, he's an eccentric person. He's dressed in, camel clothes, in camel's hair. He's eaten uh, locusts and wild honey. He's, a, he, he's sold out for God. And people are coming to be baptized for him. I think there's probably people who are genuine and there's probably people who are just caught up in the moment. The closest thing I think we could probably talk about him uh, in our day and time would be Billy Graham. You know, there are a lot of evangelists out of there. But few who, in the course of an evangelistic program, have to extend it for weeks and then have to get bigger tents for it. And people just start coming out of the woodworks to see. Not always necessarily because they're interested in the message. Sometimes they're just interested in the spectacle and what's going on and wanting to be a part of that. That was John. He was great. 
John was, was big. He was flashy. He was, he was the most shocking thing to happen in 400 years for Jerusalem and Judea. God had not spoken for 400 years, and here comes a prophet, a man of God, who's proclaiming the baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and repentance. And he's preaching, and yet what is his message? After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. As great a spectacle as he was, as great as his ministry was, as much as hopefully he was having an effect on the people's hearts that they were turning their hearts back to God because what was his purpose? To prepare the way. To to get the people ready so that when Jesus showed up, they would be tender to his message. They would be open to his message. They would respond to his message. And John is coming through with the first message. And he's bringing crowds to him and yet, what is somebody is coming after me? I'm just preparing the way. I'm just the messenger. There's somebody coming after me who's so great. I am not fit. I am not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't have it together enough to even stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. That's how great he is. He says, look, I'm baptizing you with water. This water baptism of John's was a, a, a symbol of cleansing. But it didn't change the people. It didn't put them in a new spot. They had to go back to their lives and hopefully live their lives better, but it didn't make a big change in their lives. But one was coming after him who was going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. One was coming after him who was going to change people's lives in foundational and, and so, I think, at least for myself, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I have never really been able to place and understand just how great John was. But no matter how great John was, John was great, Jesus is greater. As we look at Jesus' ministry and as He's coming in and His humility in coming, as great as John is. And you could even probably find people in their time frame who thought John was better than Jesus. A better ministry. John did his ministry in Judea. Jesus did his ministry. Most of his ministry was in the backwoods in Galilee of the Gentiles. John was doing it proper out in the wilderness. Where a man of God gets away and God comes and visits you and you got to go out there to the wilderness to see him. But Jesus, he was going from town to town. There are a lot of ways that, humanly speaking, we could think maybe John was better. His ministry looked flashier, it looked better. Even John at one point goes to Jesus and, or sends his disciples and says, Are you the, are you the right one? I, I'm, I was sent to prepare the way. Are you the one whose way I was preparing? Because your ministry doesn't look right to me. Are you sure you were the one or should I look for another one? John was great. Jesus is greater. Jesus even testifies. Jesus testifies to the greatness of John. He says in Matthew 11, uh, verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John was great. 
And his ministry and his message was great for the people. But Jesus is coming along after him. John was just there to prepare the way. Jesus is greater. And John's purpose is not for himself, but to prepare the way for Jesus. And so that's what we see in verse 9 as Jesus comes in. We are told in verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. And in those days, meaning in the time frame that John was baptizing. Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now one thing we notice here is that Mark does not get into details as far as what was said and done. We read in Matthew where, where John is not really wanting to baptize Jesus. He's like, I baptize you. No, I need to be baptized by you. John recognized his own sin and his own failure smallness compared to Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for forgiveness. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for repentance. Why is Jesus asking for it? Mark doesn't tell us. Mark does not bother with that. Mark just moves on, says he was baptized by John. He tells us immediately coming out of the water that the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descended upon Jesus. And that a voice spoke from heaven. And and this is a a Hebrew way of saying God spoke. You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. This is a, a, a blessing at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Don't forget who you are. You're my Son. And I'm well pleased with you. I am happy with you. I am glad of you. You are are doing exactly as you're supposed to be doing. And then, notice it's not that Jesus finds Himself falling into a temptation. Jesus doesn't find Himself in a bad spot. No, the, the Holy Spirit leads Him immediately from this high moment of baptism and the Holy Spirit coming upon him and hearing God speak that you know, whether or not everybody heard or if this is just something that was private between them, the text doesn't really make it clear to us. But immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, being tested by Satan with temptations. He's with wild beasts. He's in danger, and yet he is not because angels are ministering to him. And and what this is, is Jesus begins with, identifies with John's ministry. Jesus is baptized not because he needs repentance, but because he is identifying with the people who need repentance, who need forgiveness of their sins. He is is doing it as as a start to his ministry. He's identifying with John's ministry, but then he is also moving from it. And, and we see two things about Jesus in this little passage. The, the first one is that Jesus is God's Son. He, God speaks to Him, and we already saw this being declared by Mark in the first verse, the beginning of the Gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But now we have God the Father saying, 
You are my beloved Son, in whom I am, in you I am well pleased. So the first thing we see here is the, the identification of Jesus as being God's Son. The second thing we see, though, is that Jesus is our Savior. And the way Mark is showing us this is by having Him go out into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. As He's going out and being tempted, He is wrestling with, He is suffering for, He is struggling against those powers that we struggle with and fail to win against. He is starting on His process of not just coming and being the Son of God, but also being our Savior by going and being tempted, by suffering and struggling and fighting against Satan. And this is a, a sign and a beginning of that his whole ministry will be the struggle until finally Satan thinks he has the victory by taking Jesus to the cross. But we know that's his victory. Jesus' victory, not Satan's. Jesus is shown in, a, in this passage, Jesus is God's Son and our Savior. So yeah, John was great. Jesus is greater. Because John wasn't saving anybody. John couldn't save anybody. John couldn't even save himself. But Jesus, because Jesus is God's Son, He is able to be our Savior. And He comes to be our Savior. He comes as the Son of God. And He goes out into the wilderness. He will go to the cross for us. This is His greater ministry than John had. What happens after this? We are told in verse 14, now after John had been taken into custody. And the way Mark writes it, that we see in other Gospels that there's some overlap in Jesus' ministry with John, that Jesus' disciples were baptizing and John's disciples were baptizing. And there, there's, you know, that people were going to Jesus more than they were going to John, and John's disciples start getting worked up about this. Hey, everybody's going to him. And what does John say? He must increase, but I must decrease. Well, with that in Mark, what we get from Mark is the picture that as soon as Jesus shows up, John's ministry is over. So uh, after John has baptized Jesus, there, there's a sense where there's no more need for John to baptize anybody. Even if there are other people out there that are coming for repentance, and there were probably people lined up after Jesus or for days or weeks or even months after Jesus was baptized. But after Jesus is on the scene, there's no need for John's ministry anymore. And so Mark shows us that very clearly just by having Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness, and then boom, the very next thing. Now after John had been taken into custody, he is removed from his ministry of baptism. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. We had John preaching, right? John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. It's very repetitive in its idea and its language. As John had entered in and done a ministry, now Jesus is entering in. He's coming into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Both of them, both of them are preaching a, 
a message of repentance. John is preaching baptism of repentance. Jesus is preaching repent. There's no message of baptism in Jesus' teaching. See, one of the things I think that we, we see in uh, Mark's preaching, or not Mark's, I'm sorry, I'm keep on, you know, these four-letter names, I don't know what it is. I'm just wanting to, I'm just wanting to, to substitute them. In John's preaching, in his ministry, he was preaching, get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent, be baptized. When those people came out of the water, though, they were the same person. It was, it was more like a rededication of their life. They recognized that they had not been living properly. They wanted to live properly. But when they got out of the water, whether or not how they lived was still up to them. So when the soldiers were coming saying, how should we live? John is telling them, don't abuse people. Only, only do what you're supposed to do. When the tax collectors were coming and being baptized, what was he telling them? Don't steal from people. Only take so much as you're supposed to. It was still on them to change how they lived. It was on them to live out their repentance. It was a rededication more than anything. But when Jesus comes on the scene, He's not telling them to be baptized for the repentance uh, and forgiveness of your sins. But He's telling them the Gospel, uh, the Kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. So when, as I said earlier, when we repent, we change our way of thinking. It, it, the word literally means to, to change your thinking. That after being with somebody or in the presence of something, you will think a different way. So repentance can very easily be just you're ignorant, but you're with a teacher, and now you think this other way. That, that is the, the Greek word of repentance. It has grown to the point where we understand it to mean I'm going away from God, I repent, I change, and I'm going to go towards God now. And we might even say, well, no, no, repentance is changing how you live. But we live how we think. And, and how we live comes out of how we think. And so to say that repentance is to change our way of thinking isn't, isn't wrong. It's, it's what the word means. How we are within ourselves is how we are going to be truly. We may put on an act. We may act a certain way. We might put on a face. You know, we might be sad in our hearts, but we smile at everybody because we don't want anybody to know what's really going on inside. Well, when I do that, am I really happy? No, I'm still sad. I am just faking it for everybody around me. We can, we can start acting like God wants us to. We can start going to church and we can start being uh, more obedient to the Ten Commandments and trying to be a good little Christian. But if that's just an outward behavior and it's not based on a new way of thinking or a new heart, that's not true repentance. In fact, most of the people that are doing that are just trying to use God for their own purposes and desires. But repentance, true repentance, what Jesus is calling for and what 
John was even calling for is that we change our way of thinking. Because when we change our way of thinking, then we change our way of living. In fact, Proverbs 23 tells us, and let's go ahead and get the whole context. He tells us, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. That's an example of something outwardly is trying to look like they're generous. Oh, eat and drink! But because they're selfish, they're internally thinking a different way. And that's a principle that's true for all of us. As we think within ourselves, so we are. If we have a heart that is tender to God and seeks Him, then our lives will seek Him. But if our heart is not that way, we may be able to fake it for a little while. But after a while, we're going to stop trying to go His ways. To repent means to change our way of thinking. And that is what Jesus is calling the people to do. And that's that's the difference between what He could do and what John could do. John could baptize them, but then they had to go back to their their lives. They're kind of just in the same spot. His... His baptism wasn't enough. We see this in the gospel, in the, gospel, in the, in the story of Acts when uh, Apollos is found and he knows the baptism of John and he's preaching and he's proclaiming the ways of God. But Priscilla and Aquila, they have to take him aside and explain to him more fully the ways of God so that he can preach the truth. He doesn't have it all because all he had was the baptism of John. What Jesus is proclaiming isn't baptism, but after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of God. Jesus' focus is on the good news. He is preaching the good news, and then he is encouraging them in verse 15, he is telling the people to repent and believe in the gospel. He isn't saying repent and be baptized. Repent and believe in the good news. As we see in verse 1, the good news is wrapped up into the whole Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus calling the people to believe? He is telling them to repent. The The same call that John had, repent. There was the need to repent, to recognize that our lives are wrong, that we are sinners, that we are going in the wrong direction, that we live the wrong way. We need to change our way of thinking. But whereas John just had an action that they could be baptized, Jesus has what they can repent, not just from. We repent from our sins. But you have to repent to something else. And Jesus gives us what we can repent to. And that is the good news of who He is and what He is doing. The Gospel, this good news, is the entirety of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of the good news. Jesus is telling the people that the, the time has come. Things have changed. The time is fulfilled. The Kingdom of God is at hand. It's in hand in His presence and who He is. And the call now isn't Repent, 
be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. No, it's repent and believe in the Gospel. Believe in the good news. Believe that you don't need to do something. You need to believe in someone. That Jesus Christ came to the earth to die on the cross and to rise again. That we would have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Believe in that is what He is calling them to do. John's baptism and John's call, John's preaching, the proclamation to repent, it got the people ready, but it didn't, it didn't complete the process. It didn't complete what they needed in their lives. They were still left maybe needing to repent in the future, needing to be forgiven again, needing to be baptized again. But Jesus comes, and Jesus, He is the fullness of John's ministry. He fulfills what John was doing and he takes it even further. The good news that Mark is sharing with us that Jesus is proclaiming, the good news is that Jesus perfects John's baptism. He perfects it in the, in the true sense of perfection. That perfection is the completion. Taking something to its logical and complete end. Becoming the fullness of what it should be. Jesus perfects John's baptism. Whereas John's baptism left people where they were, Jesus' Jesus's Gospel, the message that He gives us, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, doesn't leave us where we are. It takes us to where He is. It takes us to Him. And so as we, as we repent from our sins, Jesus gives us Himself to repent too that we can start believing His good news. That we can start believing and walking with Him. Whereas the, the people could come for an afternoon and be baptized and go back home. Jesus, you come to Jesus, you don't just go back. You go back home maybe, but you don't go back. You don't go back to the way you were. You don't go back to the, the way you lived. You don't go back to the way you thought. Because when we believe in Jesus, when we accept Him and follow Him, He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit comes into our lives and changes us. Not our, not our outside, but our inside. Our thinking. Our beliefs. Our choices. Until we resemble Him on the outside as we do on the inside. This is, this is what Jesus is doing. He's calling us to repent toward Him. The good news is that we can have forgiveness of our sins. That we don't just go to a wild, crazy man and get baptized and repent and then a month later need to go and do it again. That's the great story about baptism in Jesus Christ is that when you believe in Jesus and when you get baptized, that's it. I've had people come to me a couple of times wanting to be rebaptized. And I say this as a person who was rebaptized. I'm cautious about it. I've known people that claim to get baptized three or four times and they feel like they need to get baptized again. That's when I start telling them, I don't think you really understand what this is. It's not a way of cleansing yourself. It's a proclamation that you walk with Jesus, that you follow Him. And that's something that happens once. 
So if you get rebaptized in my book, it means that first time wasn't the right one. That you really weren't following Jesus. I know that's my story. When I was a kid, I got baptized not because I was following Jesus, because I was following the crowd, probably like a lot of people going to see John. It looked cool, and everybody was really excited about the kids that got baptized, and I wanted the cool, and I wanted the everybody excited about me. I don't want the Jesus. But as an adult, when I became a Christian, and I recognized that what I did as a kid wasn't, wasn't real, then I got baptized. And I didn't get baptized in a Baptist church. I was dunked. It was a full immersion baptism. And so when a deacon at my first Baptist church was trying to tell me I wasn't really because, no, 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 that was real. And I don't need to do it again. And that was everything. Because I'm walking with Jesus ever since. That's what Jesus calls us to. It's not a, it's not a do it over and over and over again. It's a one time you're walking with Him, and when you have His Holy Spirit in you, you don't need to do it again. Jesus perfects John's baptism. Jesus makes it to where when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't need it again. When you're, when you're saved in Jesus Christ, you don't need to be saved again. He seals you. He keeps you. He guides you. He calls us to repent to Him, toward Him, for Him, from our sins, but for Him. And He calls us to do that by believing in the good news that Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of our sins, that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Do you believe? Do you believe that good news of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray, Lord, that we would believe. That we would believe the message that has been handed down to us, that has been spread throughout the world, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Father, we, we talk about John in the past tense about what he did, but we talk about Jesus about what he is doing because he is still active, still working, still saving. It is His good news that is still reaching new hearts today. We pray, Lord, that we would believe the good message of Jesus Christ. That He died on the cross for our sins. That He rose again. That He offers us forgiveness. That He offers us eternal life. That He offers us Your Holy Spirit. That You would change us and guide us Seal us and protect us. Father, we thank You for the, the greater ministry of Jesus Christ. We thank You, Father, for His humility to be baptized even though He didn't need to. Father, we thank You for John's humility in recognizing his part and his place. Father, we pray for us today. The call to repent is a call to humble Yourself. The call to believe is and Jesus is a call to humble ourselves. 
We pray, Lord, that you would help us to humble ourselves, to be humble before you. That we would not try to be righteous in our own abilities, that we would not seek to do better next time, but instead, that we would yield to you, that we would bow down before you, that we would ask your forgiveness and say, Heavenly Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, guide me to be more like you. We pray, Lord, that we would have that prayer in our hearts and in our lips. Humble us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.